We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guests for today. Noah Laphart, co-founder of Variable and host of the podcast Code Story. Noah graduated from Texas A&M with degrees in math and computer science. He worked for years at Alcon Labs in Fort Worth while also playing in a rock band. After earning an MBA, he started to get the itch to build his own company, but didn't have a specific idea about what to do. It was his co-founder, Michael who brought up the idea that would eventually become Variable. Variable is a unique platform that offers on-demand labor solutions for manufacturing companies and warehouses. Companies can contract workers as they need them, and workers can find work that is more flexible than traditional manufacturing jobs. Noah sees the platform as a larger vision where manufacturing has seen the downside of outsourcing, and is also working with software that is more integrated and universal. He can see it eventually becoming linked to other new developments like on-demand warehousing for e-commerce businesses. In his podcast, Code Story, Noah interviews tech innovators to bring to light the stories behind their ideas and how they came about. Now, let's get better together. Noah Labhart, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on. I mean, we originally met on matchmaker.fm and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm looking for hardware engineers, you know, hardware entrepreneurs. You're like, well, I don't do hardware. I'm a software guy. And I'm like, but (laughs) hold on. You're running a software company called Variable that helps people build hardware. So I'm like, Bro, you're in. Check. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I'm glad. I, I'm glad I qualified. Well, I'm, I'm and, helping the hardware guys. Yeah, and and more importantly, I think it was like really cool. Like I love I love those sort of interactions because you were pretty honest and straightforward. And the other thing that you do, which is really cool, is this thing called Code Story. It's a podcast about developers and developing code. And as everyone knows, I'm an engineer at heart. 
you know, pretty nerdy, love myself, some Python, you know, like, you know, break, <laughs> breaking stuff. You know, I love nothing more than writing scripts to analyze data in Python. I'm now actually starting to learn machine learning and it's so not what I do for my day-to-day job, but gosh, <laughs> it's hard to take the engineer out of me no matter what. <laughs> so I, so looking forward to this and love to talk about all the stuff you're doing because you're doing a lot of coolly cool stuff. But before we get to that, I'd love to hear how you got to do what you're doing today. Sure. So, um, you know, I graduated from Texas A&M University, started out as a math major and switched over to, well, I say switched over. I was about to graduate and decided I didn't want to be a math professor. I wanted to write code. And so I stayed an extra year and got a, an extra degree in computer science. And so I have a math degree, computer science degree. Figured the two nerdiest thing possible would serve me well. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I think if you would have thrown physics in there, you would have had the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had all the calculus from physics, yeah, but not yeah. necessarily the, uh, right, 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 <laughs> the other right. stuff. So, so graduated, went to work as a consultant doing .NET development, and then um, started playing in a rock band, uh, funny enough. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, yeah. I played in a rock band um, and decided to support my rock band uh, bandmates. They were living an hour away. I was like, I'm going to look for a job closer to them so we can do this for real. And um, moved to Fort Worth and started working in Alcon Laboratories. Did the band thing for a couple of years. Uh, uh, our music is actually on Spotify. Uh, or we were called uh, withheld. Withheld. Okay, and, cool. Um, Hold on. You're like the second rock star I've had on the podcast. So I need <laughs> yeah, to rock. Rock star is very, very <laughs> loose, loose term. Well, I had Johnny um, from Prison on. I don't know if you know who Prison is, but no, but I'll check him out. He he's phenomenal. It's just so funny because it's like pretty hardcore. He says it's like heavy metal, but it's it's so interesting because I you know I came up in the eighties. Right. So for me, heavy metal is a certain, you know, that's iron maiden, you know, that's black Sabbath, that's Saxon. His stuff is like way quicker and a little more, I don't know what I would call it. It, It's definitely got some kind of heavy stuff to it, but the message is super positive. It, Hmm. and it's called prison and you're thinking prison, it's so negative. And then you talk to him and you're like, Oh man, like, no, bro, you're like hardcore onto it. And not only that, he's also, a tech company founder <laughs> yeah, nice <laughs> for helping talk people. To this guy. <laughs> yeah, you should No, I should introduce you because he's trying to do a lot of stuff with mental health. Hmm. Um, and for the life of me, I don't remember his company. He's going to really be mad at me for that, but <laughs> sorry, Johnny. <laughs> but yeah, second rock star or, and or second guy in the band. So we'll, we'll tone it down a bit. So, so sorry to interrupt. Go. go ahead. There go you ahead. go. No, it's good. It's good stuff. So, was playing the rock band, did that for a couple of years. We recorded an EP and a full length album, toured around, did a bunch of stuff. When I say toured around, it's like weekend tours. We all had full-time jobs. Um, and so that was, that was great. Um, started working at Alcon. I was working at Alcon for a few years by that point. The band broke up. Um, and then I was still at Alcon, met my wife. So I'm married, have three kids. Um, and my life sort of changed, uh, not sort of, it definitely changed then. Um, so stopped playing the band, stopped doing music, got married, uh, and really started, you know, paying attention to my career, got my MBA, uh, while I was at Alcon and started supporting manufacturing towards the end of my career at Alcon. At that point, I started to get the itch. Uh, it's like, I working really hard at Alcon. It's a great place, great people taken care of. Um, but I want to, I want to see the fruits of my labors. I'm not making a difference. And so I decided to jump out and do my own thing. Um, while I was at Alcon, kind of on the side, I started doing some mobile app development projects. And when I decided to leave, I started my own mobile development agency, started building startup startup solutions. Did that for a couple of years um, and got a different itch. Got the itch to um, start my own startup. And, but I didn't have any ideas. I was, I, I'm the executor. I wasn't the idea guy. I'm, I'm an idea guy now, but not... Not back then. I was like, I, I can build stuff, but I don't have any ideas. So talked to a couple of, uh, or talked to a friend of mine, uh, Ryland Barnes, who introduced me to my current partner at Variable, Mike Kinder. Um, and we, he pitched the idea for Variable, which is on-demand labor for manufacturing. 
And I was like, this is going to work. And so started doing that. Um, in 2016, we formed the company. 2017, we launched the product. And I haven't looked back since. We're in 10 states now, growing up in the Midwest and, and expanding across the United States. Um, so that's variable. And then Code Story is my podcast, right? I am a podcast junkie. Um, listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, one of my favorites is How I Built This with Guy Raz. And I wanted that, but I wanted it from the tech people. You know, there, he does a few with, through, uh, with some tech founders and some tech products. But it's not just that. I wanted that just with the tech people. And I wanted to surface those human stories about how they went through it. And I couldn't find it. So I decided to do my own. And that's where we are today. Wow. Yeah. Scratching the itch, huh? The entrepreneur itch. It is amazing, isn't it? When you sit there and you realize, like, you know, I could be at this company for my whole career. And I'd be comfortable and I'd be, you know, being promoted and I'd have all the safety and security in the world. And it's, it's what, what exactly do they do, that big company? What do they do? So it's Alcon Laboratory. So they do eye care. So and there's three different, there, at the time, there were three different divisions, consumer, pharmaceutical, and surgical. So eye care. So big thing. Everyone's got eyes. <laughs> Everyone will need eye care. I mean, my dad. You know, he had a bunch of cataracts. So, you know, they had to mm -hmm. take those out and everything. Sure. But it's so interesting that it's sometimes in life, you know, that itch or that desire, where, where do you think it came from? That's a good question. Um, you know, I have a lot of family members that are entrepreneurs that, you know, started their own businesses, were successful, have done a different, bunch of different, you know, projects essentially. Um, that have done pretty well. And so I think a little bit of it was in my blood. Um, and I, I do think I started to see like the, just the long-term um, trajectory of, okay, if I stay here, I'm going to be comfortable and I'm going to be well taken care of and it's going to be fine. But there's, there's not a lot of creativity. There's not a lot of energy behind keeping the lights on. And I'm also a very creative person, you know, musician. Um, I'm, I, I, I like to create things, I like to build things, I like to do projects. And so I saw that there wasn't really anything that felt creative or alive to me in the trajectory I was looking at for the role. And so I think those two things in my blood and that trajectory just really sealed the deal for me. Yeah. I, 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 when I talk to entrepreneurs about this a lot, it's a combination of my family, friends, you know, I just was always around like they're creative folk. Like you had someone on your podcast. It was great. I, it was a pup, you know, I think it was an episode released in December and the guy, um, his family was a bunch of artists. I don't remember his name, but the, what really like captured me was that he was programming on his Commodore 64. <laughs> of course. So as a 50 year old, man in Silicon Valley, one of my first computers was a Commodore 64. And I remember him saying like, yeah, just getting the games to work and everything. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> it's like the first taste of like, oh wow, this is really cool. And I remember all my friends in, in high, you know, this, yeah, high school, they're like, Jari, computers, they're not going anywhere. Who cares? And I'm like, no, one day this is going to be a big thing, you know? And course turned out to be true but i could have been wrong you know the guy the famous quote from the ceo of ibm at the time was like yeah we only need like a thousand computers in the world <laughs> you know <laughs> what i mean and that's yeah. the you know the big like not being able to see the vision and so what, what do you see is the vision for you know variable and kind of how you guys are, are sort of building this platform and and I'd love for you to explain a little bit about what the platform is because one of the challenges that lots of entrepreneurs have especially hardware entrepreneurs because hardware is harder than software sorry to say it it is it's true <laughs> um you know cuz I really think that what you're doing can really spark a revolution in bringing manufacturing back here because we've lost that and I remember back in the day you know, I was a semiconductor engineer, right? So all the chips in your phones and your computer, like I built those things. Like I know how to do that. I still have nightmares sometimes <laughs> about the, all some of the problems that I faced in that and also some great memories. So 
yeah, sort of take us through the vision of where you think, you know, variable is going to go. And, 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 you know, if you do have any thoughts on how to bring manufacturing back here to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. So what variable is on-demand labor marketplace, right? We connect, we're technology marketplace, we're technology platform. We connect businesses with a marketplace of workers, um, on-demand workers, uh, 1099 contractors for discrete work jobs. So we're a third labor paradigm, essentially. You've got full-time uh, employees. You've got temp staffing, which is essentially short-term, full-time employees. And then you have on-demand labor, which you can rise, you can you know raise and fall with your demand. Essentially, you can bring people in and let and not let them go, but bring people in them as you need, based on your demand. Um, so we essentially, which is where our name comes from, variableizing labor. Um, and allowing businesses to have flexible capacity. We also, on the worker side, allow workers to put together flexible schedules, work off of a phone, find different work opportunities, earn higher wages, and we pay them daily. So if they work an op, they get paid the next day. So essentially, they have a rolling paycheck if they're working for us every day. Um, so that's that's who we are. That's what that's what we do. Um, as far as the vision for the future, we've the the future for manufacturing is really interesting. Because there's been a lot of technological advances in um, different IoT solutions and different, you know, training solutions in, in lots of different uh, hardware uh, in the manufacturing plants, machines, um, and software. But I would say software is actually the the laggard, right? Typically, traditionally, it's a bunch of ERP, ERP systems, MES systems that are huge. They're on-prem. They don't talk to each other. You have to spend, spend millions of dollars to connect them. And where we see the industry going, you know, digital factory, industry 4.0, the whole you know, buzzwords that are thrown around, is that all of this software is going to be form-fit to a specific solution. Uh, it's going to be in the cloud, and all these solutions are going to talk to each other. Um, which is essentially what we have in the consumer world today. Um, you know, if you if you look at uh, integrations for like Slack or f- through Zapier or you know uh, any solutions like that, we sort of already have this in the consumer slash no code business world, right? We suspect that, or we believe wholly that this is the where manufacturing is going to go. And so where we want to position variable is to fit into that ecosystem really well and to be the labor, the, the, the on-demand labor provider that fits into this ecosystem and uh, communicates inward and outward um, and supports that, that vision. Uh, how to bring manufacturing back. Um, I think it's, I think it's coming back um, a bit on yeah, its own because yeah, for sure. Be- because it's um, people are seeing that it really, it's really didn't. It, it wasn't as cost effective as they thought it was going to be. Right? Oh yeah, if, you know. For, no, that's for sure. And you also got to worry about supply chains and you know yes. critical critical infrastructure and critical things like you know the Suez Canal gets blocked for a week, right? <laughs> and you don't get yep. your garden gnomes in the UK, which is a travesty. But right. you also don't get the syringes and all this other thing. So yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Right. Or, you know, yeah, any sort of, any sort of event, right. I mean, Mm. I'm I'm in Texas. So, you know, was it in February the, 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 we had, you know, the, the snowpocalypse, uh, which never happens in Texas, but we did. And it shut down Texas for a week and, and, and literally shut down the power. And, um, and so, yeah, the whole supply chain issues, people want to bring it back already. Um, We think that making it, make more operational sense also is a very good incentive to bring it back. And that's where variable comes in too, is also is an operational tool to help optimize your operations. We're starting with capacity, but there will be other solutions for operations that will be this sort of, sort of type of model too. Yeah, no, no, that's really cool. There's actually a company. Have you heard of orchestration for IOT devices and manufacturing devices? That sounds really familiar. I'm sure I've, I've come across them. Yeah, there's a company called cplane.ai. I actually know the the CEO's name's Bob, great guy. And I did a little work for them on helping them get a um, bunch of an analyst to look at a white paper they did with ExxonMobil. Hmm. And what you talk about how software is sort of lagging and everything. 
what was interesting is about, so for those of you that aren't nerds like us, um, orchestration is the ability to ramp up and ramp down assets of hardware. Mm. And in a manufacturing environment, like an oil rig or a platform or whatever, the, the traditional way they would orchestrate these things is they would hire an intern to assign IP addresses to a thousand of these little devices, right? And it's a nightmare. I mean, it's an absolute yeah. <laughs> 100% nightmare. And so what cplane.ai did is it took what people in IT already do with virtual machines and orchestration of, of resources, right? Any mm-hmm. IT guy, gal worth their salt knows about how load balancing and all this sort of stuff. And I'm butchering it because, you know, Bob would be a better explainer of it. But what's cool is that this orchestration thing allows companies like ExxonMobil, like manufacturing facilities to mm-hmm. monitor and optimize the hardware that mm-hmm. run the manufacturing machine. And I remember like, you know, I was in semiconductors, right? So, you know, we'd go into this like pick and place machine to build, you know, SOIC devices. And the literal comms between them was a US Robotics 300 bot modem <laughs> clicked in, you know, and you're like, oh shit, right. I hope that doesn't go down. <laughs> so it's really When super- was that made? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of these pick and place machines, I kid you not, you know, they're like older than I was and, but they work. I believe it. <laughs> but they work, right? And what's also interesting about how you're trying to, you know, not only for the, for the, for the, the manufacturers, but also the workers. I really like this idea. Because uh, Nate over at Dumpling is trying to do the same exact kind of thing for personal shop. I had him on the podcast as well. Personal shoppers and really having them build their own independent business, mm-hmm. which I also think whole reason why I do this show is to help that next generation of entrepreneurs, like help you, help them, right? And so mm-hmm. how do you see, um, you know, variable labor is also obviously important for manufacturing, but also, I think on the labor demand side, like really in order for manufacturing to come back, and, and I think it will, has to, there has to be these small businesses kind of coming up to fill that demand. How do you mm-hmm. guys see, you know, what you're doing kind of shoehorning into that and kind of, you know, almost building a dumpling? I mean, probably don't know what dumpling does, but anyway, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I really think you're on to something that's really going to be profound to help those folks in the manufacturing area, as well as those subcontractors really manage their lives better. Totally. No, I think you're, I think you're right on. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, how, how is variable helping that, you know, what we see in the landscape is a lot of, a lot of solutions that become essentially the bedrock of these types of operations, right? So we're labor, Right. There's a company called Stored that is sort of on-demand uh, warehousing, right? On-demand warehousing, and they have some distribution, some logistics stuff in built into their solution as well. But it's basically on-demand warehousing. So you think of someone like that's doing uh, maybe it's a small shop that uh, is doing e-commerce, though, right? Anybody can pop, can pop up an e-commerce shop and use Amazon. But what if they don't want to pay for Amazon's fees and stuff, and they want to utilize? their own warehouse space. Maybe it's a garage starting out, but, but you know, whatever, wherever, wherever they need to bring 10 people and they need, um, you know, that those 10 people to come work in their small warehouse space, build the product and then send it to on-demand warehousing. So linking those two systems together, those bedrock systems around labor, around warehousing and distribution, um, those types of solutions are what are going is, are what those types of solutions or what is going to change the game for those small businesses because it's going to enable them to not have to one have the network to spin up this huge operation um, and the and the capital um, no less uh, but two it's going to enable them to move fast they're not going to have to think about that they're going to have to think about how am I running my business which is what they should be thinking about oh totally I mean this is what toast is doing for restaurants. I don't know if you've heard of the Toast platform, but mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, I remember going, you know, around, I'm in San Francisco. So there's obviously all these little restaurants and stuff. And I remember going to one the other day and they had five iPads and mm-hmm. each iPad was a different, 
Uber, Grubhub, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm talking to this owner. It's a little sandwich shop, right? Like, you know, and they're like, well, we have to do this because that's what people are finding us. And I'm like, well, how, how much does it cost you? It's like, oh, it's, it's like 20%, right? It's mm-hmm. insane. That's but on I a good have, day. <laughs> that's on a good day, right? But I have yeah. to do it because people won't find me. And I'm like, oh. And then Toast came around, came along. And it's actually, I think, a little bit cheaper. And, and in fact, some people on their website are like, oh, order here. Don't order on Uber Eats, especially if you're going to go pick it up, right? Like, Because that's what I do. I like to go pick it up. Mm-hmm. But I'm fascinated by this because... I really feel that when you make the logistics of an op- of a manufacturing operation, which you know my you know my my um, my ex wife, her dad ran a machine shop, like hardcore. He 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 would make machine stuff for like radar systems for like the government. I mean, it was just insane amount of precision, and they ran this little small business, right? And mm. I just remember the challenges and struggles of logistics and all that, um, that really, you know, he, he literally only had one customer because <laughs> he couldn't do it any other way. But, but I see really the economies of scale on the infrastructure and the systems that connect everyone together and connect everyone together in a way that where they can do the thing they're good at. And mm. I think that's such a, powerful thing that you're trying to do. And I really, really think it's going to be at the cornerstone of not only, I think, personally, a renaissance in in American manufacturing. I I can't see why we wouldn't want to do this, especially with all that outsourcing stuff. One, it's tenuous Mm -hmm. geopolitically, right? Look at even look at oil, the price of oil, and even in Texas, right? I mean, Texas has got a lot of oil. California's got a lot of oil, actually. Natural gas. Like, do we really want to be dependent on the outside world? I mean, yeah, trade's great, but, you know, we need to worry about our own, too. So, right. do you do you see um, more, like, is your platform going to be, like, an open platform where people can plug into it? Or are, are you just building, like, oh, we're going to build this other module and that other module? Because what I've seen in other... Um, other software, especially, I mean, you know this, right? The software guys are like 20 years ahead of manufacturing, probably at a minimum. <laughs> um, those open systems really help. I mean, this orchestration thing we talked about, it's an open, it's called OPA, open process, autom- I don't, uh, whatever, somebody came up with it. And Bob, I'm sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Where, where do you, do you see it as more of an open platform or how, how do you, how do you see people plugging into it? Great question. Um, so, we are building it specific for manufacturing, supply chain, distribution, warehousing, um, because that's the space we know and 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 love, and we see the biggest need in it. Um, so we're, we're building it specific to that. However, we have had conversations of how can we <clears throat> make available our platform to other industries, other people who want to use the platforms. So we're, we're having conversations about that. Um, you know, I think like anybody that builds a great solution, which we're very proud of our solution. Um, anybody that builds a great solution is going to think, well, who else could use this? Right. And so uh, variable itself is specific to manufacturing in that sense. And it's going to be open for the industrial world. So when I talk about the future of the world where we, where everything talks to each other horizontally in the manufacturing process, we're going to be part of that ecosystem. But as far as other industries, that's where the conversations are about. Okay. Maybe we can um, license our platform somehow. And, and we're not, we're not doing this at the, at the, this very moment, but just conversations we have. Um, we have there and you're right this it's interesting the software guys usually are 20 years ahead of manufacturing in software and the reason is they don't understand manufacturing (laughs) manufacturing is a different world than instagram you know and i'm not knocking instagram because instagram's a a great solution it's working really well Um, i'm not on instagram but i'm not knocking the solution however um, like like you said hardware is hard right building stuff is hard um, logistics is hard, you know, and it's not, uh, it's not fun some days, you know, some days it's like, I hope we survive. Right? <laughs> and so people, oh, yeah, yeah. people, I think software engineers don't tend to draw towards that environment. And, um, I feel fortunate to have that experience and to have met Mike 
and for us to share that that excitement for that environment because it needs it. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I, I always joke with software guys. I'm like, yeah, you're a recompile away from perfection. Me? <laughs> I've got, you know, in the semi world, semiconductor world, if I may, if I screw up a chip design, that's 13 weeks for me to even see if I fixed it. And that's right. a million, that's a million dollar mass set. Like mm-hmm. my level of paranoia on screwing it up is about a thousand times more than, oh, let's just recompile it and see what happens. Right. And, right. and the other thing I, and I think this is why software guys don't like hardware guys. I'll just be honest. Right. Because <laughs> There, you what we would also say is like, ah, we'll just fix it in software because <laughs> we because yeah, I mean, I don't want to respin this board or this chip. Are you kidding me? Just guys, can't you just fix it in software? And they would just get so upset, so angry. <laughs> sure, but you know, you're right. It's 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 a lot easier to innovate in software and a lot quicker, and mm-hmm. then you can experiment a lot more, which I find very fascinating. We we were talking a little bit before we start started recording about like how I love to just dabble in Python and machine learning and stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious, are you guys looking at like machine learning and AI? That's sort of the new buzzword bingo-y things. Seems to me that in some respects that could be beneficial. But then again, you know, I, I saw this one tweet from some guy, he, he had like AI in his last name and he's like, yeah, I've got more AI in my last name than most companies have that, that say they have AI. So what yes. are your thoughts on that? Yes, I, I would agree with that guy's tweet um, that that term is over, is used. It's the same thing as blockchain, right? Everybody's got to throw a blockchain in there, right? Yeah, to get the so to get the the SEO value, right, or something like that. Um, but as far as what we want to do um, moving forward with data science, right, and machine learning, we are very interested in that. Um, we see it. Uh, we're very early in even considering how we use it. In fact, I had a conversation about it today with a, with a colleague here. And, you know, we want to take the data we have um, and learn from our market dynamics. We want to inject data uh, also for people that are willing or people that we purchase data from and learn from that. Uh, we, we would love to be able to, with, with you know, appropriate consent, track information too about uh, our workers and our businesses to make our platform better to understand how they're interacting and understand you know timing and and um you know how they're using their devices to make certain decisions and things like that on our platform obviously um and then take all that data and and learn from it either in an unsupervised way an unstructured way or a supervised way where we are learning from our known patterns and modifying our platform, modifying, um, manipulating our platform configuration in real time. So essentially, as the marketplace runs and grows, we grow with it. That's our initial idea, but it's very early days in how we're going to use it. And again, back to that same that tweet, that guy's point. We don't want to be one of those companies that are like, yeah, AI, machine learning, yada yada. We're we anything we do is a, is going to have a plan with it. And we're going to understand sort of how we're going to attack it, even if it's starting small, but, but we're not just going to go out there and be sloppy. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good lesson for entrepreneurs as well. I mean, people like to chase the trend, you know, I think what, what right now, right. NFT, blockchain, AI, Mm -hmm. machine learning, electric vehicles. Well, that's hardware. That's hard, (laughs) you know, so, (laughs) you know, um, the unsexy stuff like logistics, and you know you're right like no one truly understands how important logistics is it's it's like what wins wars like mm-hmm. i i don't care what anyone says like if you can't get the beans and the bullets to the guys at the front they're not going to succeed there's just hands down full stop and same with manufacturing mm-hmm. the coordination between raw materials and all that sort of stuff is just a nightmare a nightmare. We used to have problems with this all the time in the fab. Like, oh, we don't have our raw silicon wafers. Like, oh, where are they? Oh, well, we don't have any. Well, I'm not going to let my billion dollar fab at the time just sit idle. I got to do something, you know? So right. Right. It, it is fascinating how a lot of times logistics and manufacturing and and all that can be, I think it's I don't know if it's just not respected or if it's just not known. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, h- how do you guys go about, you know, n- 
you know, not only explaining to your customers, you know, okay, the value of your platform, but then also the the value of the platform to the to the piece worker or the you know the the, the worker that's going to come in and do it is 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 what what's sort of the strategy behind it? Because I think you know you guys are being successful and like growing this thing. I think we could learn a lot from just you know how to take something that was here manufacturing it went away and then how do we bring it back? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs have some of that mindset for other things. So just curious, what do you think about that? Sure. Um, for businesses, we know what we do in the education space, as far as <clears throat> enabling them to understand how they can, how they can use this is, is pretty straightforward, right? I mean, variableizing their capacity. When you speak to an ops guy about that, they're got it. I, I know how to use this. Show me the product. Right. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty easy sell. Now, the reason it's hard for businesses is because it's not just him that makes the decision, right? <laughs> HR is involved, uh, CEO, VPs are involved and things like that. So there's different people we have to satisfy with explaining the, um, the use of on-demand labor. For the worker, though, it's actually really interesting because with the shift in the, um, the generation of, of workers uh, and getting people interested in manufacturing, they don't well, the younger generations don't really want to go work for a company for 30 years, which is traditional, you know, manufacturing. I'm going to work on the front lines. I'm going to work my way up to a manager and then to a director. And, you know, that if that exists in the plant, right? Um, and so they don't want to go do that. However, when you present it to them in a thing that they know, essentially on their smartphone, right? Oh, this is like DoorDash, or this is like Instacart. So I could deliver groceries one day. I can drive for Uber one day. I could work at the manufacturing plant. Um, then it makes sense to them. And they are in control of their, of their own destiny. And the younger generations really value that. The other, the other type is, um, the other thing that's a big sale is that flexible schedule. We have a lot of people on the platform that have, you know, different situations like you know, a mother of, of five who doesn't have childcare during the day and, you know, can't work in a normal plant schedule, but she can string together ops to make money, right? To, to maybe she's got to go work a, a night shift here, night shift here, and she's got to work a shift on the Saturday, or she's got to do some piecework on a Sunday um, so that she can, you know, be with her kids during the week. That flexible, flexible schedule was not possible with a traditional manufacturing role. So, but on a platform like variable, it is. The third thing I'll say too, is that you, it's, you can't, um, how do I say it? You don't want to stress enough how important working in manufacturing is to manufacturing people. Um, you know, people that work on the shop floor want to work on the shop floor. They don't want to go work in a bar or they don't want to go work at a retail store. Um, and the, you know, they certainly don't want to go work at McDonald's. They want to work in manufacturing because that's the environment they know and love. And so the people, it, you don't want to underestimate the people that work there want to work there. So giving them flexibility, giving them daily pay, giving them all these opportunities with a, for a younger generation and also people that want to work there, it's just kind of a win-win for all. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm really glad you brought up the fact that people that want to work with their hands, they want to make stuff. Mm-hmm. I think this is this blue collar work ethic that we're, we've lost, honestly. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually sad about that. I, I really like, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen dirty jobs. Oh yeah. Micro like, micro and you know, like, okay, full disclosure, right? I got an MBA. I sit at a desk. I, you know, I type on a computer for a living. Right. But my dad, when we were kids, we used to work around the house. And when I say work around the house, I'm not saying like, you know, shuffle up leaves. I'm saying like dig ditches, build wire houses. I mean, his his house or my childhood home was a constant work in progress. <laughs> and it was literally like, no joke, it's a longer story. But the thing that it inspired in me, which I, I hope this will do, and I I think I think we're seeing this at this next generation. And the reason is, is because my generation was always told, go to college, then you get a good job. And then you get uh, millennials, go to college. Oh, there's no jobs. Oh, I've got debt. Oh, oh, I'm, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. And oh my gosh, I can't, you know what I mean? Yes. And, you know, you and I went to school for hard science, like engineering, math, 
like computer science. Like, of course, we're going to get a job. That's in such a huge high demand. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of these kids, and I call them kids because they're younger than me. They went for stuff you couldn't get a job at, or I know some that would just they went because they had to, and they're like, I really would love to be a carpenter or whatever machine. I didn't didn't matter, but there was this. It was a shame almost. It was a mm-hmm. shame in working with your hands. Right. And that's just not cool. And, and, and because like, and I look at Germany as a great example. So Germany, roughly 25% of the German population goes to college. Mm-hmm. The rest are in trade. They have a very good living. They're highly skilled and they take pride in what they're doing. And you know, I am on Instagram <laughs> and one of the things I, and I'm such a, I'm such a weird guy on this, but one of the things I follow on Instagram is I follow woodworkers and welders. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> because I have so impressed. Like I actually take, took a welding class at one of these local places, like learning how to weld and like build stuff just cause mm-hmm. it's in my blood. And you know, my dad's from the farm back in Kansas. So like we, we fix stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's being lost in, in, and how, cause, cause like <laughs> even Home Depot a while ago had like, oh, um, you could take a class on how to use a tape measure, right? Cause I guess a lot of young men and young women, their parents didn't teach them how to do that. So how, how are you gonna, uh, do you guys see yourself as filling a gap in that skill base or are you just having so much demand where it's just like, well, people are just figuring it out because well, the college thing's not going to work out because that's not a guarantee. And there's so much student debt and people are like, you know, it, it's funny. The, <laughs> of course, welders are pretty, they're pretty funny. And they're just like, you know, go to college. Nah, I'm going to go weld and make more than you. And what, you know, anyway, they're, I do a bad <laughs> yeah. job of it, They, but they're, they're pretty cool. So are, how are you guys dealing with, or actually more importantly, is there a labor gap between the people that can actually do this? And then what, how do you see we fill that gap? Because I really think not only teaching people how to be entrepreneurs so they can start their own small business is going to be the key to recovery, full stop, like no one can convince me otherwise. But second, I really think, I mean, the blue collar work ethic, the blue collar jobs, which are in such high demand. I mean, Mike Rowe had a great thing. I was like, there's millions of these jobs around mm-hmm. that quote unquote, no one wants to do. And I'm like, I don't know. There's days where like, I would much rather honestly swing a hammer or like chop down something, or I would love nothing. I mean, I'm bad at it, but you know what I mean? Like, how do you guys, how do you see filling that gap? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And there is a gap and we do see the gap. I think, you know, a couple of things comes to mind when, when you ask that question, one is like, we're going to get people in the environment and show them that, that, Hey, this isn't, you know, I mean, you know, micro does an awesome job with like dirty jobs and stuff like that, but it's not all like that, right? Not all manufacturing jobs are, are, you know, are really nasty and painful and, and bad. There are some like that and they're very high paid for that reason. Um, but the, the thing is like getting them in the environment and showing them that it's not, it's not the, it's not the end of the world. In fact, it's really fun and enjoyable and it's, and it's rewarding, uh, is one of the things that, that, that we do. Um, and, and one of the things that we do on our platform, the second thing is that when we get people on the platform, we, we coach them through the software and we're, we're doing a better and better job of this as we go, but coach them to the software on how they can up-level their skills. Right. So, you know, if you want to be a welder, right. Okay. Well on our platform, there is welding skills. There's not a lot of welding ops, but to get there, Maybe you do this, this, and this, or, or say, maybe it's not welding. Maybe you want to be, um, you know, a warehouse supervisor one day, right? Okay. Well, you need to learn the warehouse environment then. So go work this, 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 and this, and, you know, it's not that straightforward in our platform today. We suggest ops basically around proximity and around skills and, and skills are self-selected. So um, it's sort of, I'm sort of future visioning where we're going to go or future casting, whatever that term is. I don't know what that term is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't but, know. I don't know. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, do, so, but, but getting people on the platform and helping direct them to, hey, you can do some really cool stuff. And here's some building blocks to do along the way on our platform. Um, and like you said, I think I feel the same way. Like I, I would love to be 
swinging a hammer some days, or I would love to be, you know, hanging sheetrock some days, you know, some days I don't want to do that. Some days right. I'm really happy that I'm coding. Yeah. Uh, but other days, I, and I love it. I, I love that. And, um, I think that's going to help bring that blue collar spirit back, that hard work spirit. And I think that spirit is also essential in that entrepreneurial thing you're mentioning is that there's, there's some grit in that blue collar. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I tell people all the time, you know, being an entrepreneur is not hard. You know, there's some certain things you got to know. And of course you got to have a, you know, you got to figure it out, but it's the blue collar work ethic. It's the discipline and the grit to just grind out the boring stuff. I mean, 90% of the entrepreneur job is so boring and you're like, ah, do I have really have to do this? Mm -hmm. 10% of it, maybe 20% is fun and creative or whatever, you know? I mean, even, you know, I write books and I do a lot of writing. The blue collar work ethic on writing has served me so well. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm just creative and yeah, it's a little highbrow, but boy, like my ability to sit down and say, look, I got to get this done. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to do it. This is my process is because like when I was a kid, I was hanging sheetrock or I was mm-hmm. doing a putting one summer, we put a new roof on the house. Like mm. me and my two brothers, our job was take the roof off, put it back. And I literally, my dad, <laughs> did not want to rent a nail gun, like oh, a no. roofer gun. So mm-hmm. I had with, with the, you know, whatever the green sinker penny nail, I don't even know what weight penny with a damn hammer <laughs> smashing every one of these stupid nails into the decking, the three quarter mm-hmm. inch plywood decking we had to put on. Yep. My hands were so swollen. I couldn't even, <laughs> and it was hot and nasty. And I'm just like, God, this is hard. This is the, this is so, I don't ever want to do this again. Mm-hmm. But then again, there's some days like you, like there's nothing, there's no greater feeling than when you finish something like a project. I mean, code shipping's great. Like I love that too. But I remember like building my own fence. Mm-hmm. Like I owned a house and I'm like, I want to build a fence. And I remember when it was done and I just looked at it. I go, I built that. I built that. Yeah, it's a great feeling. It in same with code. Hey, you know, don't get me wrong, but God, I wish we, you know, I really hope that you and your platform will really start encouraging people to learn those skills. Cause I, mm-hmm. I honestly think like a lot of these trade unions, you know, the guilds and stuff, I would really hope that they would just get on the bandwagon. Like, you know, because as as an example, semiconductors. Mm-hmm. So TSMC, which is the largest Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturing company, which is the largest private, probably one of the best fabless companies and probably the best one, is starting to spend billions and billions of dollars on new fabs, and they're going to start building them in Arizona, right? And I know a bunch of guys in manufacturing semiconductors in Arizona, right? Love, like, there is nothing cooler than to (laughs) watch a pick-and-place machine, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but... You know, they got one of the guys I know there's like, I can't find qualified workers because it's hard to, this is a hard job. It's very highly skilled, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, I just, you know, it's just so great what you're doing. Yeah, I just, I, I think we're going to get it back. I think we're going to get that blue collar work ethic back. And so as, as like a, a, a new person, entrepreneur coming up, you know, in the ranks, the next generation of entrepreneurs, as I like to say, what mm-hmm. advice would you give them? on what to do if they want to be an entrepreneur? That's a great question. You know, I've asked that question to a lot of people on my podcast on Code Story, and I've got a lot of interesting answers. And, and I still come back to my, my original answer for me um, is, is <laughs> it sounds, sounds like I'm quoting Nike, but just do it. Like if, you got, if you've got an idea, the, the age that we live in, um, you know, what I mean, hardware is hard, hardware is expensive, software is easier. But even in the age that we live in today with hardware, with anything, it is easy to start. And I say, just go out there and do it. You're going to fail probably a few times. You're going to mess it up, but enjoy that. Enjoy that. Enjoy the learning from that because it's going to build on and build on and you're going to get that, that, just satisfaction of like, I, okay, it didn't work out exactly like I, like I wanted it to, but I did it. And now I'm going to do it differently and I'm going to get better and better and better. So 
I wish that I could go back and start earlier. You know, I wish I could go back in college and start doing something to build something, to create something. I wish I would have spent more time doing that. Um, but I didn't. And so that's my advice to the younger people uh, is do it now. Start now. You have the resources at your fingertips and it's all just available to you. So go do it. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Noah, it's just been such a great conversation. I, I really love what you're doing. I think it's so important. I honestly think more people need to get into hardware and manufacturing. Uh, I hope that people will try out your platform, listen to your podcast. I really, I really enjoy the podcast as well. Since I'm a nerd at heart, you know, it's just so cool to be like, yeah, I've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) But, but again, thanks so much for your time and uh, stay safe. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Thanks again, Noah, for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation and I love, of course, talking to people that (laughs) are involved with making stuff, especially physical stuff. So, as promised, here are the actionable insights I learned from my interview with Noah. Noah's advice for anyone aspiring to start their own business, just do it. His only regret is that he didn't start building his own business sooner. Even if you fail or things don't work out as you expect, the experience of learning and doing will make you better next time. And it's actually really satisfying to learn something and then be able to apply it. Don't dismiss the traditional blue-collar work ethic of putting the hours in and doing the hard work, no matter what kind of work you're doing. The discipline of hard work matters. And we also talked about uh, the TV show Dirty Jobs, uh, which is with Mike Rowe, which is another great example of the blue-collar work ethic. And, you know, he's just kind of a, well, it's a good show. So there you have it. The actionable insights I learned from my interview with Noah. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.